Uh, let's try the self-isolation take. Progressive Rugby League. Friends, compagne, compagne, amigos, amici, friande. Welcome back to the Progressive Rugby League podcast, a podcast just getting older with age. John O'Duncan here, dialing in for another season of Rugby League consideration, an off-season preparing my chin for the stroking. And joining me is a guy by the name of Big Al, someone who for the umpteenth year running has been bitten by the Rugby League bug and in good news for all of us, won't be seeking medical attention for the affliction. But an affliction he may be seeking medical attention for is the bout of sniffles that has beset his nasal passages over the past couple of days. So live from his watertight bulletproof self-isolation unit is Big Al. Hello, good sir. Hello, thank you. Uh, yes, I'm here in my fortress of solitude. Is it the sniffles or is it just a poor case of got to get my rugby league-itis and the preseason perhaps has just dragged on a week longer than my immune system could handle? Yeah. And I'm weak. But I'm pretty sure the cure is going to roll around and hit me right between the eyes on Thursday night when round one kicks off. Good to hear your enthusiasm levels have not been affected. Look, it's a big year ahead, Big Al. We, we did a pot a few weeks ago for the start of the Super League and Championship seasons in the Northern Hemisphere. And now we're here as the NRL season is about to kick off. And in good news, I'm happy to say that the great Steve Mascord will join us later on to talk about a couple of very interesting rugby league projects he has on the boil as well as a few of his thoughts on the Toronto Wolfpack and International Rugby League. So stay Excellent. tuned for that. Before we get into it, yeah, I have mate. a question to ask you. Okay. You know I love your opening monologues. They are a thing to behold and, and a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. The languages that you rolled through at the top <laughs> of today's episode, Yeah. the word Friand, what yeah. language was that? Well, I believe it was German. Friande. German, right. Okay, okay, Friande. Because I thought maybe you were mixing in a little bit of a French culinary language as well, because I'm quite sure that's a cute little French cake. Oh, right, okay. Well, I may have got my Google Translate mixed up. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all, it's all applicable. Yeah, exactly right. Look, Big Al, let's get straight into today's show. Let's I want to start it. off by asking you, what will you be looking out for? This NRL season. This is unlike me, but I'm going to start us off with a bit of a, a bit of a downer. Well, I genuinely think we are going to be looking at the Sydney Roosters winning their third premiership really? in a row, okay. which is not something that pleases me because I mean, like, come on, two in a row. Like, as much as I would rather someone else have won, two in a row is a, it's a slick achievement. Trent Robertson, well done. But three in a row, like, come on, somebody else have a go. It's getting boring. <laughs> but I genuinely, I genuinely think that's probably what's going to happen. But I do also see, I don't know if our fan base is aware or if we've even spoken about it off air, mm. there's a raft of rule changes coming in for this season that are going to make things really, really interesting, like the captain's challenge, the being able to pick where you set the scrum, yeah, um, as like well as the not, not being able to tackle anybody in the air, whether you're attacking or defending as well, I think it's really going to make things quite different. And I reckon, especially the scrum rule, I'm excited to see how that happens because Me too. that's only going to encourage people to bring back the set scrum play and we all, we're all disciples of the Book of Tim Sheens, mm. the king of the set scrum play. 
Oh, yeah. We say, or I say, and I'm hoping that we both say, bring it back. And I reckon that's only going to encourage that kind of play. I'm really looking forward to an expansive season. Yeah, I remember talking about that last year, about making it easier for players and clubs to entertain, you know, to, to make memories by amending the rules to enable them to express themselves, you know, creatively. <laughs> so I was glad to hear that one. So you can now feed the scrum either 10 metres out from the touchline, 20 metres out, or from the centre of the field. So... I think that that little tweak to the rule is a great example of how administrators can alter things uh, to give players a bit more scope to be creative without interfering with the integrity of the game itself. Because I can see good players and coaches sitting down during the week and coming up with all these cool scrum moves based on the, the different scenarios and using different tactics to fake out the other team. So it has the potential to be a really interesting part of the game this year. Also, the 2040 rule is another example, I suppose, it probably won't be used that much, you'd think, but still, it encourages people to take risks. It dangles the carrot just enough to make it a worthwhile <laughs> venture. Now, you know what it does do? The fact that these rule changes have been brought in, one of the things that, that I love about rugby league is its ability to, to innovate. It doesn't have to go to a, like a committee of rusted on administrators that don't like change. It, mm. it knows what it needs to do. It's there to entertain. It's, it's rusted on administrators who do like change, so that, it's a handy alternative. Now, so I'm in a similar boat to you. I'm looking forward to see what happens in terms of creativity this year. And on that, I saw an interview in the off-season that's stayed with me for months. The interview was not with a rugby league figure, Big Al, but a football soccer coach. Ange Postacoglu is his name. For those, for those in the Northern Hemisphere, he's an Australian football soccer coach, a very successful one, formerly of the national team, but now applying his trade in Japan. He was being interviewed because... The Japanese team he's coaching, Yokohama, I think, had just won the J-League, which is an enormous achievement for an Australian football manager. Anyway, Ange is known for being absolutely militant in pushing a certain style of football he wants to play. It's got to be, you know, attacking, aggressive, cohesive. And he said something that resonated with me and basically summed up what we've been trying to say on this podcast over the last couple of years. I just like the angle that he took with it. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, there's going to be a winner every year. Every year, someone has to win. I just want to make sure that if and when we win it, it's going to be memorable. I mean, I I couldn't have agreed more. He's right. Really, winning is not that special. I mean, it's good. It's good. But someone's going to win the thing. And that's how the the whole shebang is made up. It's set up. (laughs) This winning thing is pretty banal in a way when you think about it. And as we know, Big Al, the key has to be how you win. Make it exciting. Make it fun. Chuck it around. Be creative. If you're just grinding your way to, to victory by, you know, completing and grinding away, well, good for you, but not good for us. Yeah, love it. So that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to a bit of expanse, a bit of creativity, a bit of risk-taking. Hopefully we see a lot of that this NRL season. Big Al, this has almost been done to death, but I think we need to address it. It's the new NRL ad. Tina Turner, she's back, simply the best Old people have been calling for its return for years, but maybe they didn't have this in mind. In the meantime, rugby league discourse in Australia has become a bit like an episode of the Gruen Transfer. What are your thoughts? Let's quickly cut to it. I mean, like you said, it's been done to death, but personally, I I love that ad. I think it's a great ad. Believe it or not, I love it too. For me, though, I'm not really interested in talking about the ad too much. I want to talk about how this is a, a very modern controversy And it's very modern for a couple of reasons. And they're directly related, Big Al, if I may. Now, A, you're not exactly sure how controversial it actually is. It seems controversial because there's a lot of noise about it in the media. But then you talk to real people 
and they don't seem to really care. And if they do, the intensity levels are dialed right down. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, yeah, it's all right. I prefer the other one. That's okay. Which comes to the other reason we can consider this a very modern controversy, and it's the role of the media culture warrior. The media culture warrior is an internationally booming business model that makes individuals millions and corporations billions. News Corporation has perfected the mould all around the world, but they're not alone, to be fair. These people salivate waiting for these sorts of things to pop up, and generally they relate to issues around identity, because how people identify themselves and how we identify ourselves is really the big social lightning rod of our time. And when something like this comes up and there's an inkling of an opportunity to play media culture warrior, boom, they pounce. So it works for them well because there's space to fill, but more pertinently, it's guaranteed to get a reaction that inevitably snowballs into what becomes known as a controversy. So if you're a writer and you're smashing out a thousand words that gets chins wagging and clicks soaring, well, that opens up the avenues of the TV talk shows, the talkback radio guest spots. It's your foot in the door of a very lucrative media ecosystem. These people know what they're doing. And I'm not saying they don't necessarily believe in what they're saying, but there is an absolute black and white rule of the media culture warrior. And that is, get off the fence, have a strong opinion, or else you'll fade into the background. There is no time or no room for or money in contemplation. So it's always high volume, reactionary, and generally about some kind of social change that threatens the status quo and makes those in the traditionally dominant power positions, and yes, that's generally older men, a little uncomfortable. It might be about rights for, I don't know, trans people, or might be about teaching kids about our real indigenous history in schools. Who knows? And this NRL ad ticks a few of those social change boxes, a bit of indigenous and same-sex pride, young girls dreaming big, And yep, like clockwork, the media culture warriors are off. And as I said at the top, you're not exactly sure how controversial it really was to begin with or what the controversy is actually about. Is it about the ad itself? Is it just being used as a pawn in a broader culture war? Or does the controversy actually become about the commentator or the commentators themselves? Because often they don't just wait to report on these issues and comment about them proportionately. They create the drama and become the news. That's the trick. A successful media culture warrior becomes the news by making as much noise as possible about an issue you're not sure anyone was really too worried about in the first place. Hey, but now you mention it! And that creates the all-in. They're yelling from all sides, and even the people calling for calm need to yell to be heard. So, yes, there's always been sensationalism in media, but like with pretty much everything in the modern age, social media has become the great exacerbator. So they're my thoughts on the latest uh, really predictable and frustrating quote-unquote controversy over the last couple of weeks. Progressive Rugby League. Hey, Big Al, let's hit the mailbag, shall we? Let's do it. People have questions. People have thoughts. They write into us. We try to answer them. PRL Mailbag. It's the PRL Mailbag. Carsten, our Iron Curtain cowboy from Switzerland. Is it Basel, Carsten? He got in touch about his challenge to you, Big Al, for an International Rugby League merch face-off. 
when he gets to Sydney later in 2020. He suggested five categories for the face-off, which, if we play our cards right, could be hosted on a makeshift catwalk at halftime of the NRL Grand Final. I don't know. Am I dreaming too big? You should never, ever be afraid of dreaming too big. Thank you. The categories are shorts, jerseys, polos, hoodies, hats. Which all sound very reasonable to me, Big Al. Like yeah, but to- I've, I've got a feeling they might all play right into Carsten's strengths. <laughs> well, well you, can, you can suggest your own categories. <laughs> I, I'd like to add socks in there. Maybe a poetry category. What about uh, rugby league haiku? You'd be strong at that. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Yeah, so that's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. Y- yeah, I know what a haiku is. <laughs> Wonderful. Elsewhere, Laurent Garnier, French rugby league evangelist and super coach in his own right, was playing a very mysterious game when quizzed on his university days at the University (laughs) of Perpignan. You may remember last episode, we wondered aloud about that period. What did he study when he represented France at the University Rugby League World Cup in the 90s? This Big Al is a topic I intend to devote all of Progressive Rugby League's investigative journalism resources into in 2020. These resources so far have only taken me to Wikipedia, which is reflective of our lack of resources, but what do you do? Wiki tells me that the first University of Perpignan was established in 1349 by King Peter IV of Aragon. He was famous for something or other. The university was closed for two centuries between the 1790s and the 1970s, but reopened... It was closed for two centuries? Yeah, I think they had a, a leaking roof or something. <laughs> but reopened. No in, funds in public education, that's why. But reopened in 1979, and what a party that would have been. But it, it doesn't help us. Two hundred years in the making. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't help us too much with our investigation. Now, Laurent did hint in a tweet that there was alcohol involved in his university days. There were a couple of emojis there with glasses with <laughs> amber-like liquid. But it was not clear if he consumed the alcohol or if that was part of his studies. Maybe it gives us a hint that perhaps he studied, I don't know, hospitality or social work. Maybe that's where we should be putting our resources in. <sighs> Fascinating stuff. The mystery continues. Well, I mean, look, potentially involves alcohol at a French university. Could be anything from, uh, as you said, hospitality all the way through to winemaking. I'm quite sure there'd be university degrees around that industry. So That's true. Uh, you never know. It is a, a fantastic winemaking region. Speaking mm. of mysteries, I'd like to thank Ian East from Leeds or Ian from East Leeds for providing an update on all things UK Women's Rugby League with a decidedly blue and amber Leeds tinge, of course. Ian noted so Sophie Robinson has finally been able to return to training after her horrific ankle-shattering injury from last year, which is great news. He also reminded us of a couple of recent moves or appearances in Australia of Leeds talent, including Courtney Hill, inspirational halfback, appearing for the Roosters in February's Perth Nines, and she made the highlight reel too, and Charlotte Booth, prop forward, who has made the big move to Brisbane to take up a contract with the West Brisbane Panthers in what is apparently a deal that sees her become the first English professional women's rugby league player. I actually didn't know that women playing in the state leagues were getting paid, but if they're getting something, fabulous. Good stuff. Because did you know, Big Al, that according to Ian, the women playing in the Super League get no money at all for their time and efforts? Really? Yeah. And oh, well, I mean, that, that's a shame, but also it shows the passion and the dedication that those players have to find the time to, to play at such a high level. I agree. And I agree with Ian on this. They definitely should be getting something. I mean, some compensation, at least, for the time and effort they're putting in. After all, having the women play under the Super League banner is surely at least in part about helping promote the image of Super League as a progressive 
forward-thinking competition about shining up that brand for future sponsorship suitors. So yes, the, the purse strings are tight, but it doesn't seem right to take the plaudits for pushing the women's game and not give anything in return for those who are actually uh, doing the work. Yeah, I agree. It's, it'd be great to see some kind of some kind of change. Ian also reminded us in a very thoughtful email that he sent that to be a progressive rugby league advocate requires us to ask hard questions of ourselves. Of course, pillar number two asks, what is it that you stand for, dear friend? Ian was reflecting on the complexity of money in sport. Should we be interrogating the source of the money in our game to ensure it aligns with our values? Or is it a matter of beggars can't be choosers? And is any money that keeps the game alive good money, no matter where that money comes from? He also wondered if there's anything rugby league fans can do about the complex and all-encompassing issues such as climate change. Uh, These are dense issues and important to consider, and I intend to do so more often into the future. So thank you, thought-provoking, as always, Ian from East Leeds. He's a deep thinker. He's a deep thinker. A deep, deep thinker, a rugby league philosopher. You know, we wouldn't have it any other way. Of course not. Now, elsewhere, some mail from a guy called Jono from Sydney. Oh, that's me. No, this is something I didn't know where to put in the show, so I thought I'd put in the mailbag. Now, it's something I noticed when I was flicking through Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I came across the whole KR team list for their home game. I can't remember who it was against. But you know how they have, Big Al, those team lists, and they have the sponsors next to the players' names on the list? I sure do. Well, I was... I'll never forget. I'll never forget the announcement at Leichhardt Oval. Aaron Woods, sponsored by Sister to Sister. I never understood what <laughs> who that sponsor was, but they stuck with me. <laughs> Fabulous. Were they like a band, like a, a girl <laughs> they band? They were in the nineties, S two S. But I think this is a, co- a company that sells something. I'm not quite sure what. Well, how about this? I was taken by the sponsor of Kane Lynette, former rooster and cowboy. I think he's sponsored by a company by the name of Adept Fabrications. Now. <laughs> What a name. I think it's good that, uh, you know, a certain news organisation is supporting the, the British game at the grassroots level by supporting a player. Adept Fabrications. Good to see a, a bit more transparency about what they do too. Do you, think, do you think that's like, potentially that's a misnomer, right? So maybe it's a, a rule for the Leeds team. All players must have a personal sponsor. There was none for, for um, Mr Lynette and they've just made up essentially what translates into... Uh, good lie yeah. um, and turn it into a potential company name yeah maybe I mean they're, they're very creative over there it was Hull KR actually that, so okay, I, mean, sorry. I don't actually know what a fabrication is so well it's yeah, some, something that's been made I guess this is true anyway research to be done Big Al that's the mailbag so if anyone wants to get in touch with us on the mail you can do so via progressive rl at outlook.com just like Ian is from Leeds or Ian from East Leeds did or via Twitter because Big Al I think you have closed down the Facebook and Instagram accounts, have you not? I have, so please don't look for us. We won't appear in the results. Now, Miguel, I'm not sure how we're going to do this, but we have our French-Canadian Rugby League update coming up. Shall we just give it a crack? Let's go. Okay. Slug Miguel and me, we like what we see when it comes to French-Canadian Rugby League. <laughs> Did you, leave, did you drop out and leave me to go solo? No, is there, I think there must be a delay. Let's try it again. Slug Big Gal and me, we like what we see when it comes to French-Canadian rugby, rugby 13. <laughs> How are we sounding? Well, it's difficult. There's obviously a delay, but uh, we'll have to have to go with it. Why, am I coming in like two seconds too late? <laughs> yes, slightly. Really? Yeah. That sounded, that sounded like I was perfectly in time. <laughs> anyway, all right, we can move through. We, what have we, we got? We, we, we can move on. So, uh, let's start, start with results 
in the championship of the Sweet Babies. We've got two victories here. Toulouse Olympique 34 over the always tough, gritty Batley Bulldogs 34 to 14. Yes, a good solid victory for the boys in blue. Batley were their plucky selves, taking an early lead and actually leading 8-6 at half time, but Toulouse took control in the second half with five tries and a 20-point victory. I was going to text Sylvain to ask him about what he said at half time, but I thought I don't want to waste my Sylvain tokens, so I might save that for later in the season. Anyway, they're looking good, five from five, and they'll undoubtedly be right up there this season, but To be fair, they haven't played any of the other major contenders so far, besides maybe York, who have subsequently struggled to get going this year. So looking forward to them testing themselves against, you know, your Lees, your Londons, your Featherstons, maybe your Halifaxes and others. Then we can start to really run a better form line. But so far, so good. Looking good. For most successful teams, people would always say, you know, it was a standard Team X performance. Mm. Would you say being down by um, eight to ten points and then scoring five tries in a row to win by twenty is a typical to lose performance? I mean, there's there's been a couple of times this year where they've you know trailed or have struggled for big parts of the game, and then just like clicked into gear. So yeah, let's go with that. A typical right, to lose performance. performance. All right, so let's uh, let's shift the focus to London, who also have a win, uh, defeating York City Knights, eighteen points to twelve. Yes. Now this was a, a replay of a dramatic Challenge Cup tie from a couple of weeks prior, where York got up with a late victory away to London. This time, London got up away to York, and to keep their good start going as well, and to keep York's winless start to the season going. So, you know, good to see London up there again. They'll be challenging the likes of Toulouse at the end of the season, Danny Ward and his men. Well, as you always say, the coach of the year of 2019. That's right, despite getting relegated. Despite one of the, relegated. A rare double. He's um, winning his secondary. Exactly. All right, so let's, let's look at the ladder for the championship. Toulouse, in typical Toulouse fashion, at least for 2020, out on first place on 10 points, plus four. And London in fourth place on eight points, plus two. So when we're talking about the pluses, it's in relation to fifth place to make those playoffs. So what happened, sir, in the Super League? We'll start with Toronto. We talk about Toronto a lot. We are massive Toronto boosters, of course. We're both expansionists. They're having a rough trot. So latest results, uh, a pretty comprehensive loss to Leeds, 66 to 12. Pretty comprehensive is a, a euphemistic way of saying that they were smashed 66 to 12. But let's go with pretty comprehensive. I like that. I mean, the only consolation for us, Big Al, is that it was against Leeds, and you, of course, fell in love with Leeds roughly around July last year. So it's a club we've definitely got a soft spot for. But gee, it does look like Toronto are having some hard times. After a few encouraging performances, it's starting to look a little grim. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I mean, we can go into panic mode, right, and go, all right, so Toronto, there's six games in, and they haven't won anything. They haven't won any games. They've had, I think, one where they were relatively close, but they've mainly been some, some pretty decent losses. Their for and against, I think, is like minus 144 or something, which is like at least 60 points away from them. But then, if you sit back and, re- and have a look at it, there's six games in. The Super League season goes for, like, a long time. There's 29 games. Yeah. There's what you know. Got to look at the positives. There is 23 more chances to get two points ahead of you know Hull KR or Salford or whoever it is that's going to be challenged. Looking like they might be close to around the bottom of the table for that season as well. They haven't got to win them all. They just have to win enough to be second last. Exactly right. That's what I like about you, Big Al. Not only <laughs> are you a self isolator in times of Corona crisis, but you are positive. You remain steadfastly positive. <laughs> Even when things are looking grim. You brought it up in 
in your in your interview with Steve Mascor, which we'll get to later in the show. But like, I just think it would be a huge a huge shame and opportunity lost for everyone in rugby league if Toronto were to get promoted and then immediately relegated again. Yes, so I did speak to Steve about Toronto Wolfpack. So stay tuned for that. But a lot of people have said their list is poor and threadbare, and they should have recruited more quality players. And maybe there's some truth to that. But remember, Big Al, the London Broncos came into Super League last year with essentially the same squad they had in the championship the previous year. I might have mentioned this a few times last year. And they competed pretty well. Won 10 or so games. Danny Ward was Progressive Rugby League Coach of the Year. Oh, was he the coach? Yeah, yeah, apparently. And they were unlucky not to survive. So there's got to be more to it. I can only imagine spirits are pretty low. They lost a few games while competing well at the beginning, but now it looks like they're sort of trying to sort out their list as we speak, which means they're trying to move on certain players while trying to parachute others in. It can't be good for morale when at the same time you're trying to get your first W, you know, and yeah. team morale often manifests through a team's defense, which looked pretty woeful against Leeds. But, you know, I always go back to the way we've described them in the past. Toronto Wolfpack is startup rugby league. Now, as with any startup, it's all a bit chaotic. You get some things right and you get some things very wrong. And let's face it, some startups fail soon enough, but many will, will find a way somehow. And I, I think Toronto Wolfpack will find a way somehow. Do yeah, you, yeah, I think so. And yeah. I, I also, like in all seriousness, they've all been away games. Like some have been, I think, technically home, but they've all been in England. Mm. They haven't actually played any at, on Canadian soil at Lamport Stadium. And I think they might, if you factor in the, the home crowd, the toll that travelling will have on the visiting mm. team, I think we'll start to see them clock up some wins. I thought you were going to say plus the line markings on the field. I thought you were going to go... Plus the confusing uh, field... I think it's field hockey and uh, European (laughs) handball markings that are on that field. (laughs) Yeah, and to be fair, they haven't really been given any of the favours normally associated with expansion teams. The obvious comparison is Catalan, who were given Mm. exemption from relegation for their first few years. And also the long, long UK rugby league season means... They really only had a few months to transition to Super League, and that's hard enough for a London who have been the rugby league ecosystem for decades or a Widness or a Lee who have been around much, much longer. Uh, But it can't be easy for a rugby league startup. Now, speaking of Canadian rugby league startups, before we get to the rest of the Super League results, it has been finally announced that Ottawa will be joining the UK rugby league system in 2021 through League One, and that means Eric Perez is back, baby. Not that he... (laughs) Not that he ever really left because he was moonlighting in Bradford. But uh, yeah, it looks like it might be coached by a Frenchman too. So we'll wait and see if we get confirmation on that. But looking forward to see how they develop. They're called the Ottawa Aces. Uh, What do you think of the name? What do you think of the concept? Well, first of all, I think the concept is brilliant. I'd love to see more professional rugby league in as many places as we can possibly find it. So a a new Canadian team is excellent. Also, hopefully things going well, if we can get them into the Super League somehow and strike up a rivalry with the Wolfpack, then that, again, will be amazing for breeding talent, interest, and all important commercial dollars. However... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not too sold on the name, the Aces. What is an Ace? Exactly. What is an Ace? I I try and think of like what the logo might be. Mm. It's not going to be the card. No. Is it going to be like a gunslinging Ace or like a a magician or something? I really, I'm really struggling to think. Maybe like a a straight A student. Yeah, maybe a straight A student. Someone who did really well in their SATs. There you go. Well, then even then, I would have thought a better name then would have been the Ottawa Students. But really, I would have liked to see in the day and age of football teams having. Loud and fast logos and stuff. It would have been cool to see 
something decidedly Canadian, like the Ottawa Beavers or the Ottawa Mounties or something that, that was specifically that brought you back to Canada when you when the, you... the Ottawa Maple Syrups or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Ottawa polite and quiet. So yeah, looking forward to seeing what happens with Ottawa. So they're in in 2021 and it was interesting to read the thoughts of Eric Perez. Uh, I saw an article written by a friend of the show, Brian Deal from Canada, got in touch with Eric and asked him a few questions. And Eric is definitely going about this in a different way that the Toronto Wolfpack is going about their business. And he made a couple of pointed remarks about the fact that he's going for a sustainable approach, which implies that he doesn't think necessarily Toronto Wolfpack is a sustainable approach, but I think he's he wasn't trying to be controversial or anything, but he's just sort of saying that um, that's kind of why he left the Toronto Wolfpack because he didn't agree with the way they were going about things. But he's going to try, take his time and build it from the ground up and make it, like he says, sustainable. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, all that does is feed into that potential rivalry that will develop between the two clubs. I'd like to see more pot shots taken, <laughs> yes. personally. Ottawa Potshots, that's a good name. <laughs> what a great name. All right, so back to the Super League update from you. Uh, back to the Super League. All right, so we'll go and focus on Catalan, who have had a win 30 points over Salford 14. Yes, solid performance. I think Catalans have had a, a few good wins on the trot now, only played four games due to a couple of postponements, but they've beaten Castleford, Hull FC, and now Salford. And it seems their big-name recruits are starting to make their mark, which is a good sign for so early in the season because sometimes it takes a while to to get used to each other. So James Maloney scored the winning try a week or two ago against Hull FC after Israel Folau won possession from a last roll of the dice kickoff. And this week against Salford, they're also more than useful. So, yeah, what does the ladder look like in the Super League? So we've got Catalan sitting on sixth place with six points plus six from the dreaded relegation zone. Mm. Uh, And then we've got Toronto, 12th place, zero points, minus two. And then when you look at for and against as well, let's say they have a win and they're like, I suppose, equal last, they'd still be minus 59 on for and against. Oh, very good. Very insightful. So as we spoke about before, it's, you know, tough times for the Wolfpack, but they can get through it. They can. They'll find a way. Now, let's not forget Carcassonne is part of the French-Canadian Rugby League update. And over the weekend, it was a loss to the plucky Palau Broncos. Not one of the shining lights of Elite One, so it continues a pretty miserable season for the Big C. Now, they're sitting 7th on the ladder, and that's on top of having been eliminated a couple of weeks ago from the Lord Derby Cup. So, tough times for Carcassonne, but, you know, I remain faithful that they will be able to turn it around for all of us here at Progressive Rugby League. Now, before we finish up on the segment, a lot of people have asked us over the last few weeks why we haven't been on with the Super League and Championship seasons getting started, getting underway. And look, we'd have loved to, but I suppose it's our silent protest about the length of the UK Rugby League season. The NRL season is long enough, I reckon, for us anyway, and it shows how resilient the players in the Northern Hemisphere are playing the toughest sport you can imagine from January to October every year. And we can't even put out a weekly pod for that time. <laughs> yeah. on, on a serious note, though, the length of the Northern Hemisphere season really sucks the life out of many things. If you had a shorter season and a proper break in the off-season and a proper pre-season, players would be returning refreshed and stronger rather than bandaged up and struggling to get back to their best. There'd also be more space for International Rugby League, and I'm sure the English and French teams would surely benefit from having more players and more fresh players available more often. It would also give more space for creative concepts like a nines tournament 
or some kind of origin-like concept. At the moment, the length of the season makes those kind of innovations virtually impossible. The NRL had a nines comp in February, and Super League fans were thinking, wouldn't that be great if we had something like that? And of course it would. It'd be awesome. You'd have Super yeah, League and Championship clubs going at it over a long weekend. But while the NRL nines was going on, the Super League was already into round three. So where could they possibly fit it in? So... You know, it's our silent protest, but we are back now and uh, we'll be hopefully in the same room from next week onwards. Now, you know what, actually, if we could get live televised coverage of every Super League game, I think, you know, you never know, we might be starting from the top of the Super League season as well. Because, yeah, well. Um, it, is, it is also a challenge to get access to content. Now, that actually ties us beautifully into our interview. It's the great Steve Mascord, a progressive rugby league immortal in waiting and a writer who's always worth keeping an eye on for his unique rugby league mind. Now, earlier in the Super League season for a couple of weeks, you may have noticed Steve streaming the forgotten Super League games, those that are not broadcast by Sky, to Australian and Asian Pacific audiences. We wanted to know a bit more about this, so we got in touch. What's happening with it? What are the plans to get it going again? And of course, when you've got someone like Steve on the line, you've got to throw a couple of cues about International Rugby League and the Toronto Wolfpack, so we did that too. So, here it is. Progressive Rugby League. Steve Mascord needs no introduction, but that's not going to stop me from attempting one. After all, I love the sound of my own voice as much as Steve loves rugby league football. Because the name Steve Mascord is synonymous with rugby league enthusiasm. His journalism has long been admired for its independence and insight, but these days Steve's known more for being an international rugby league evangelist. Of course, he was into it before it was cool, but now he has skin in the game through, among other things, the wonderful International Rugby League merch business he runs with Phil Brown, and more recently, his foray into live rugby league streaming. And that's one of the reasons we have him on the show today. You may have seen Steve dipping his toe into the streaming of Super League games into Australia and surrounds and thought, what's all this then? I certainly did. So I thought I'd get him on the show to explain himself. Steve Mascord, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Hey guys, how are you? And I thank you off air. I thank you on air for that show about the book, Touchstones, last year. That was awesome and <laughs> quite uh, a weird experience. I was, I was at the World Cup qualifier in America and I put it on and drove up the freeway to, in, in Florida listening to you guys try to sort of uh, figure out what's going on in my head, which is a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, I've got to say. Although maybe it'll happen again. It might happen again. I love you to do a sequel. <laughs> how accurate were we just quietly? I, I thought you were about to say uh, you like the sound of your own voice and so do I. I really <laughs> thought you were going to say that. No, no. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's not for me to say. You say rugby league enthusiasm. I guess sometimes over the years I've, I've been more critical than enthusiastic. And I guess I like any relationship. My, my relationship with the sport has evolved over the years and maybe changed a bit. So I used to be quite obsessive about going to as many games as I can and I now realise that that could be counterproductive. So, sure. so yeah, I, I guess I'm still enthusiastic, but as you say, I guess also that my um, focus has moved a little bit. Yeah. Now, Steve, we've spoken once before when you did an article on our Humble Pod for 4020 Magazine, and some of your best work, just quietly, and I remember admitting to you... Bring back that column. I bring back that column. Oh. Nod to the pod in forty twenty. It oh. hasn't appeared in about a year. Yeah, so bring it back. I'd like to start doing it again. And I, I remember admitting to you my ignorance of the UK game at the time. And one of the things I remember being shocked by was the fact that most Super League games are not televised. And I'm still shocked, to be honest. But it seems like you're wanting to do something about that in your own way. Can you take us through what you're trying to do with Rugby League Hub and the live streaming thing? 
Yeah, well, I'm glad you said trying. When I came over to live in the UK full time, you know, I suddenly didn't have press conferences to go to or columns to write, or at least not as many. And so I took it as an opportunity to uh, look at things that should be done. And instead of writing columns about rugby league should do this or rugby league should do that, I actually started the process of trying to get some of these things done. And one of the things was, as you said, uh, just because, you know, I knew that with um, soccer over here that 20 years ago they started showing more Premier League overseas than is available to people here. We could go on and on about about reasons and things like that. But basically, this is an island. It is possible to get to all home and away games in most sporting competitions, uh, unlike you know in Australia or the US, which is huge. And so, you know, one of the main reasons that they do try to keep uh, matches off TV is not to affect gates. And uh, unlike in Australia and the US, away fans are a, a part of the planning for running a professional sports club in this country because you can get there by uh, road or by rail. And, and obviously with Rugby League on Sky, I must add, lest I be accused of sugarcoating the situation, Rugby League is a small sport in this country and Sky doesn't deem it worthy of the expense of putting every game on TV, nor do they think that there is a requisite amount of interest mm. for putting every game on TV. So yeah, so I just thought, well, uh, why isn't every game on TV? Yeah. But I really didn't really have any idea of how to fix that. And I can't say that I started sending emails or making calls that how do we get every game on TV. It really wasn't one of the projects at the forefront uh, of my mind when I got here. I, I had that rugby league hub which I put up and took down and put up and took down. Mm. You come to realise after a while uh, to conserve your energy a bit because there are enough rugby league websites out there. Okay, mm. And if I busted a gut every day working like I did in Sydney at the Sydney Morning Herald trying to do a website here, uh, unless I got the advertising right and all that sort of stuff right, I'd still make no money and I'd be doing exactly what I escaped for, for less reward. So, so it's pick your um, battles. Yeah, exactly. So the social media for Rugby League Hub moved from aggregating content to focusing on America to at one point last year, I tried to share every live video on Facebook as a sort of aggregator, but, but Facebook don't like that. So they kind of make life hard for you when you start doing that. You know, I don't know if anyone over there has played on Facebook pages, but if, just because Facebook doesn't have a rule for something and they can't say what you're doing wrong, if they just vaguely don't like it, <laughs> they'll shut you down. They'll make life hard for you and they make up a rule later. But but Jimmy Smith, the former um, Roosters player, um, played at Salford, uh, some other clubs, even though he's got the perfect job for a retired footballer, he's, he's got a good media career, which make, makes him 1%. He still wants to do more. He still wants to get involved in business and he still wants to be you know, someone who has some influence um, away from the camera and the microphone. And Jimmy had negotiated with this telco, Ovo, to put the wrestling on. And it was a deal where he's basically the agent. So we talked about why isn't Super League on in Australia uh, or outside the UK just because Sky won't put it on here, aside from two games a week. Mm. And, you know, we, we started some negotiations. And, you know, if you want to get things done, you just have to find people who have the skills and the contacts that you don't have, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it takes a lifetime to do that it really does it's a whole lifetime trying to find if you list all the things you'd love to do (laughs) you have to find the people who can do all the aspects of that project that you can't and that's luck as much as anything you know so anyway so there was a bit of luck involved there with Jimmy's had dealt with Ovo and all the things that I can't do I don't you know negotiating with a TV rights company figuring out the tech finding a platform it's on people who give up their time to try to make this happen and, you know that happened over the summer when i was back for three and a half months working on a number of things and, and as a result before round two we the tv rights company told us that we had the rights and that we, we went off and we, we started sort of test broadcasting games and, and people watched thank you uh, 
but the first three weeks they they were on three different platforms, and now, but basically now we're in a kind of a, a second phase of negotiations, which is about the tech yeah. and about you know protecting the streams uh, so that they can't be accessed in the UK. And also, our paywall's not ready yet. My personal view is that that's probably fortuitous because if we just start, if we continue to give games away for another three weeks, hmm. then people, people are going to pick holes in it. And they're oh, going to expect yeah. it. And also, from a tech point of view, it's just going to leave us open to people trying to say that, you know, while we're talking about the security of the stream, I can't see the point of continuing to give games away. So, so Steve, we'll, we'll, get, um, we'll get to um, what your plans for the, the platform are shortly, but just quickly... Were the rights available? Were they just sitting there on the shelf waiting for a buyer? Or was it your idea and your and Jimmy Smith's idea that you took to Super League? I've got to be careful here about confidentiality as far as sure. the negotiations are concerned. The idea of showing the games that weren't on TV, as far as I know, that option was not out there being offered to anybody. That was us pushing yeah. for that. However, the, the rights that were available were kind of like replay rights of the TV games right. to Australia and also live rights in the Southeast Asia of the TV games. Mm. So the Southeast Asia bit came right at the end of the conversation. So where they came back, because Jimmy was pushing to have a, as wide a footprint as possible. So basically there was a bit of creativity on your part to, to get it going. Well, I was told about these things called live view units where you could plug them into any camera puts out a live feed and it'll turn into a live broadcast so yeah and yeah i think on a on a much more low-tech basis you can almost do that on your phone yeah but these things have four different sim cards in them for different networks and they'll switch between different networks yeah right if one gets weak they'll switch to another one so i don't think it's that creative i think anyone could say well just because the game's only on these two games are the only ones on in the uk for commercial and cultural and historical reasons mm. that should not prevent the other games being on elsewhere the key thing is is production values is that you know one of the things that would have stopped say fox league doing it would be that they're not just going to put a single camera coverage with no replays, no yeah. graphics, no commentary on the air. They have certain standards, production values. And to be honest, if we're showing on an app, we don't. <laughs> you know, yeah. We don't. We'll get the pictures out as good as we can because we think people want to watch them. And, you know, I believe Ovo have shown badminton matches with a fixed camera. Yeah. at the back of a stand that doesn't move yeah. where you just sit there and you just watch two people play badminton <laughs> and the camera doesn't move and they'll have like 11,000 people watching so our the cameraman just production. presses play and goes to lunch that's pretty good yeah exactly our bar you know is much higher you know if you try that saying is often misused isn't it the bar is lower <laughs> means it's harder isn't it it's harder to get under I always think it's a limbo game so the lower bar is actually the harder one to get under so our, in which case our bar is higher <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, Depends uh, if you're going over or under the bar, I suppose. Ah, uh, yeah. Are we talking? Maybe I kind of look at everything from a kind of late night at a 60th birthday point of view, <laughs> <laughs> rather than like the Olympics, which in which case, yeah. But, yeah, our bar is lower. In that case, you're trying to go over the bar. Yeah, our bar is lower. From that, you know, we're able to countenance doing something that those kind of bigger TV companies wouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, the risk is that, you know, we'll open the door and then one of these big companies will come in and go, great, that's how you do it cheap. Yeah. And after the two years, they'll take it off us. But in that two years, we're aiming to improve the production values. What are your uh, ultimate plans for it? Are you going to add some bells and whistles or is it just going to be a, a no frills, here's the picture, uh, no commentary and, and just let it out there? Is no, that- definitely. We're already speaking to... The thing is, like, Neville Smith, who was a long-serving producer here in, here in the UK, who retired only, you know, a couple of years ago now works 
for Telegenic, which is a private company, and he's doing the Wolfpack games this year. Yeah. Now, it's his dream has been to produce all the other games. So, you know, we're talking to commentators, we're talking to people who put graphics on, we're talking to people who can... There's already a second camera coverage at these games. Oh, yeah. It's actually bolted to the top of the first camera. Uh-huh. It's for coaches. It's an eagle cam. Right. So there's already the ability, when I say ability, there's a bit of technical you know, infrastructure as to put in place. But there's already the ability to switch between at least two angles at every game. So, no, definitely we want to add the bells and whistles, definitely. Mm. But our first aim now is is to make sure that we sort out these technical negotiating points so that we, we can start properly. And that's, yeah. that's the thing we're focused on now. Now, Steve, can I ask you about sports broadcasting more broadly? Now, there's obviously been a lot of talk about that next UK media rights deal for rugby league and a lot of worry that Sky won't come to the party as much as they have in the past. Do you think this avenue, not necessarily what you're doing, but this sort of streaming avenue is mature enough to fill any financial gap that might come from a decreased Sky deal? No, I think what we're doing might help Super League plug a gap that comes from a decreased deal in Australia. <laughs> but, Although, but streaming in general, do you think? Not necessarily your deal, but... Yeah, um, um, that's the thing, is that the RFL are working towards that with Ali. The RFL stream two, three, four, five games every weekend on mm. their app, which is called Our League, which is free to join, and it could be Chromecast mm. on your TV, and you can watch Bradford and Featherston, all these teams, Oldham, and, and the Women's Super League as well as on Twitch, and you know, certainly the uh, RFL are working towards that same as on a much larger scale the NRL are but this is because of the separation between the RFL and Super League this is Super League's sort of first foray into it you you can't imagine that every club every CEO or every chairman or every you know or every person at Super League I can't imagine they all think this is what we're doing is great I'm aware of the reality that there will be a divergence of opinions uh, on what we're trying to do and, and there'll be a political landscape that needs to be navigated, but I think it'll be nece- it'll certainly be a necessary part of Super League's media platform and, and armory going forward. And the thing is, people don't perhaps don't understand. Sky own every game that's produced, right? So they have the rights to the whole comp. So just because they choose not to put production or broadcast uh, four games a week or whatever, mm. if someone else produces those games, they own. So right. you know the, these Wolfpack games at Lamport are going to be produced remotely, which means it can cameras will all be at Lamport, but the truck will be in London and the commentators will be in London and the editing is done here and the switching between cameras is done here and that's a model that people do believe could do very cost-effective way the entire comp. So the answer to the question is is no. I don't don't think so. I think Super League is 100% is largely reliant on the next broadcast rights deal and and Robert Elston's there to get the best broadcast deal that he can. And it's got to all come from TV. Now, Steve, thank you for that insight into streaming and broadcast deals. Now, there's another big project you're working on at the moment, and that is another book. And of course, we love Touchstones. As you mentioned, we did a book club episode on it. But what is this new number you're putting together? Well, the working title is Two Tribes, and it's about just about the 1997 season. So I was transcribing Neil Whitaker just uh, yesterday. Well, I should be doing more each day. As anyone who's ever done a book knows, you're <laughs> always worried that you're not putting enough time in each day, and in the end, you're going to have to go away and, and work 23 and a half hours a day on it. But yeah, no, I'm trying to make 1997, and we saw it mentioned briefly, I think I guess it was 96, in the new TV commercial. Mm. I don't think a lot of rugby league fans know how to digest it. I think there are those who are still 
sort of fighting in the jungles and they, they don't acknowledge the Tri-Series and they don't acknowledge the Ashes Series that year and they mm. uh, don't acknowledge Brisbane's Premiership. And, uh, and then there are people who are, who are kind of train spotters who uh, fetishise 1997. They want a Perth Reds jumper with the Nike tick and they, uh, you know, <laughs> they love the fact that one time Melbourne played Adelaide in Hobart. <laughs> and then there are the rest of rugby league fans who just sort of don't know what to do, how to process the year at all. So I want to make 97 digestible and, and almost give people some affection for it. Um, the war's been over for almost a quarter of a century now and the, the people involved mostly have all made friends again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've worked together, they built the NRL together, but the year itself is like a black hole. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm writing a book that picks up where the, the full bench, I think it was the Supreme Court, I'm, I'm not so good on my courts, but uh, I obviously need to be, they overturned Justice Birch's decision and allowed Super League to proceed mm. uh, at the start of October 1996. And the book finishes with the meeting at the Sydney Football Stadium where all the clubs agreed to form the NRL. Uh, so it's that period. Yeah. And so a lot of the kind of obvious intrigue of climbing through windows and all that sort of stuff and Tony Tatupu getting Tony Chimavavi's contract by accident all that sort of stuff is not in there right that's yeah. in Mike Coleman's book my book picks up where Mike Coleman's book finishes cool. off Do my you... book is you know Jason Deeth being sent home from the World Club Challenge and Mel Meninga going to a cricket test in drag and <laughs> you know, Joey's bung lung and all that sort of stuff and I'm, I've got some of the big interviews done got Ken Arperson done mm. uh, Neil Whittaker done John Quayle is just texting last night. You know, John Rebo has agreed to do... Um, Fabulous. But, but along the way, there are a lot of... Um, where does it stop? You know, I went through all the clippings and, and, and actually found myself reading a lot of my own copy, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, covered that year very intensely and I was... Well, that's something I wanted to ask you about, Steve, because yeah, I, yeah. I remember the 97 season vividly. I was a staunch ARL man, well, boy... And I was basically scared of Super League. And then looking back, maybe that was a reflection of just being a nervous kid who was afraid of change. But then again, maybe my young instincts of being wary of News Limited were spot on. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> what was it like for you personally? Because you were right in the thick of it, right in there in the media scrum in what was essentially a media war, the craziest season in Australian Rugby League history, and you're in your journalistic prime. So take us there. What was it like? Well, every day, well, the key thing that underpinned I was the only one interested in, in the football that year. And I remember I, I had a gig, on, a side gig on Optus Vision, which is obviously it was yeah. all about pay TV. And Optus Vision showed the oh, ARL. Yeah. Mm. So I would go to games for them on Sideline Eye, and I would offer the Sunday paper copy from these games, and the Sunday paper would say, we'll take a few parts, but we're not going to pay you. There was no interest in the football at all. Like it was all the politics. It was all politics every single day. And so sounds exhausting. But I actually did like the football, and I would actually like like the Perth Reds games were on in Perth, and the North Queensland games were on in Townsville. And I, somehow I had people sending me VHSs of the games to watch. You know, <laughs> I was when no one else cared about the football, but I kind of was really into it. And I really loved the World Cup Challenge because I was a you know I was an expansionist. So. I think I think someone said to me just recently how I, I went to the Wigan versus Canterbury game on a Monday night and then left at half time to fly to Melbourne for Origin like two two nights later. <laughs> I just had to squeeze in you know as much football as I could. And in 1996, there was people ha- having a lot of dollars flash before them, and so 
people were more aggressive and you get in more arguments with people in 1996. In mm. 1997, they were getting paid. They had even, uh, I mean, the first person I interviewed for the book was John Cross. And John Cross uh, had an ARL loyalty contract and signed for Penrith. Mm. So the ARL tried to stop him playing for Penrith. And I went to school with John Cross, you know. So I mm. thought, that, oh, this is going to be a soft start to this process of writing a book. My first interview is going to be a guy I went to school with, you know. Yeah. And he actually said at one point, he said he was leading both comps because he was Illawarra on top of the ARL comp and Penrith on top of the Super <laughs> comp. Uh, eventually, he was, sent, he was sent back. He had to play for Illawarra. Graham Murray put him on the bench for reserve grade and he ended up playing first grade same afternoon uh, when they sent him back. But he, he thought, even though you tried hard when you were on the field, he thought the year was... Everyone thought they were kind of treading water. They, the players all didn't think there'd ever be two comps. And when there was two comps, they never thought it would last beyond one year. So everyone was kind of looking to the year ahead. Right. So, it, so it wasn't as kind of... My memory of it was that it was... You know, you get in arguments. People, they didn't like a spin you put on a story or, or whatever. But... I remember the year as like I was in the trenches every day and I was happy if I just got a strong yarn every day. If I beat the telegraph, you know, you know, I could go to the pub then, you know, if I got a strong story. And, you know, being, I think people who worked at the telegraph at the time, you know, will tell you that um, because Super League were trying to reach the big end of town, they would often bypass their own rugby league reporters with things they wanted to get out there and they'd... They'd give them to the Sun Herald, or they'd give them to the Australian, right. because they wanted the big end of town to know what they were, they were doing. So they didn't give stuff to me, but I remember I had a good relationship with Ian Frickberg and Neil Whitaker. I mean, actually, I spoke to David Gallup the other day, you know, mm. and da- David Gallup, someone I only got to know afterwards. Yeah. Um, when he became CEO of the NRL at, during 1997, he was the lawyer for for news, and I did know him. It's a bit different than it is now. It's a small group of people, you know, covering the game. There was, mm. wasn't all the websites and all, all that sort of stuff. So you, you knew everyone in a sort of sort of a social setting. Mm. Sort of occasionally drink with them, and there were all these functions that you'd go to. So uh, my memories of 1997 were actually that it suited me having a bit of a martyr complex and liking to be an outlier. <laughs> It suited, it suited me down to the ground that there was all this football being played and I was into it and no one else was. So that's what I remember the most about it. Yeah. Now, of yeah, course, uh, Steve, as an international rugby league enthusiast, you know, Super League, the Super League war put some heavy brakes on international rugby league. Australia tried to sort itself out and rebuild after all the damage. How far did the war set back international rugby league? Yeah, I, I mean, don't forget the World Nines was a Super League convention. It ran for two years. Yeah. I know the World Nines was running off the back of what Colin Love had done with the World Sevens, but I I don't think it retarded international rugby league across the board. I think in some parts of the world, I mean, let's compare the venues played um, uh, for the Ashes series in 1997 compared to the ones this year. I think in 1997 we had Old Trafford, Elland Road, and Wembley, mm. and massive crowds. Forty there was forty something thousand at Old Trafford Test, and pair that to what we're going to see this year. I think we'll, you know the venues aren't quite the same standard and I'd be surprised if the crowds were you know Fiji had just uh, I know they had you know Colonel Rambuka you know behind their sevens team a couple of years before but at the time Fiji were offered the first which they obviously still waiting the first ever Pacific Super League franchise the Pacific was kind of new territory to rugby league in the mid 90s yeah and so Super League you know probably united a lot of interest there. There was Super League trials played in Fiji, which, again, uh, we haven't had NRL teams go to Fiji and play trials. Well, I suppose what I was trying to get at was the aftermath uh, after the Super League war when 
Australian Rugby League was trying to rebuild and sort of took their focus totally off International Rugby League and straight on to rebuilding an NRL. Do you think that sort of took away from International yeah. Rugby League? Yeah, it did because basically the, the overseas federations signed up for Super League and, and when there was a deal, they got dropped, you know, like a hot a hot rock, a hot pancake or whatever. <laughs> God, they were gone. So, so in that regard, yeah, they suddenly had... They went from being promised the world to having absolutely nothing. The ARL went back onto the International Federation, placing Super League Australia, and didn't really engage at all. And the classic thing is the World Club Challenge, which disappeared until the year 2000. That mm. just wasn't played. Yeah. So certainly Super League, I think Super League put the focus... Then again, if, if the ARL had rolled over in the beginning, mm. then Super League wouldn't have reached out to these overseas uh, federations to join them. And yeah. So they gained enormous cachet in the, at the height of the war, more cachet than perhaps they were worthy when you look at playing numbers. Yeah, right. And, and they were promised lots of things. Uh, a lot of the thing, things weren't delivered when you look at the clippings. Yeah. But then their, their stocks fell back again when, when peace uh, happen in yeah. Australia. Well, it's fascinating stuff. Now, Steve, at the risk of encroaching on your personal space, where are you at personally? The Touchstones was a very personal book, and among, <laughs> <laughs> among other things, it took us through your falling out of love with day-to-day rugby league journalism. Now you're doing your own thing with various projects on the boil. <laughs> Have you found the groove that you've been looking for? Um, that's a really good question, and I appreciate you um, asking it. No, like I kind of—it's weird. Um, at the start of the year, when we were we were taking these live view units up grounds, I was suddenly back on the road after all this time, um, and and I was staring down the barrel of a full season of leaving London on a Thursday and getting back early hours of Monday morning. You know, for another twenty nine weeks, <laughs> and I thought, well, this is you know to get a, a project off the ground that business, a business that someone might want to buy down the track this is worthwhile but it didn't it still didn't feel like me it didn't feel like this is what i should be doing in 2020 spending four hours on the road you know four hours four days on the road like in 2014 i lived in byron bay and i would go up to broncos on a friday night invariably right and and then i'd be away till tuesday and so i'd really only have tuesday night wednesday thursday and half friday in byron and then i'd be away again and that's okay when it's byron i guess but um but (laughs) Yeah, so I haven't. I haven't really found a groove. I've, I kind of feel like I, I need a break as well. Like, I just feel like I, even when I was back in Australia, I was back in Australia for three and a half months and I didn't get in the water once. I didn't go yeah. to the beach, you know. I was just having these meetings and trying to get these things off the ground. And they're all very worthwhile and I believe in them, but... um. I haven't, I haven't really found the groove yet. I haven't, you know, I, when I see the light at the end of the tunnel, it turns out to be an oncoming train, you know. I, I just kind of, I'm just not quite there yet. No, but yeah. I'm still trying and I still, I, you know, the question is if I hadn't sort of done that book and I hadn't looked into my family history, whether I, you know, I, I might have been at AAP yesterday when they got yeah. shut down. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, appreciate your honesty. And as you look for your groove, it's very entertaining. So <laughs> we appreciate it. Now... While I've got you, can I ask about a team that's close to your heart and ours here at Progressive Rugby League, and that's the Toronto Wolfpack. How have you seen their baptism into Super League? Uh, yeah, I've been to a couple of games. I went to the first one, the doubleheader, which is a great occasion, and they scored first. Mm. I just Let me put, tell you from a, from a merch perspective, it's very interesting. Mm. By the way, we're going to have Wolfpack gear in Australia. be the only place you can buy Wolfpack. Uh, we've already got the Wolfpack gear, but Wolfpack jerseys are uh, yeah, the only place you can buy them in Australian dollars and, and have them shipped from Australia. Cool. Yeah, within a week, although they should be arriving here today. But like the novelty a little bit has worn off in this country uh, in that when they're in the lower divisions and they're coming across in Canada, there was kind of a bit of um, there was a glamour to them. Mm. But if you're a Wigan or a 
Castleford are a Leeds fan now. They're just the opposition. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's kind of like you would buy like a, a cap for a team from Toronto if they were in League One or the Championship. But when you're playing against them, you wouldn't buy a cap. You know yeah. I mean? So, so in that regard, the bit of the kind of you talked about getting in a groove. Yeah. I think everyone involved in the Wolfpack are in that groove now, where they just got to get through the week and they got to get a team on the field and they got to win. You know, and David, you know, is off doing his other things for a lot of the time as mm. well. Yeah. You know, Rebecca has kind of moved aside from the club a little bit. And now it's kind of like it's a footy club and they're just doing what footy clubs do every week. Yeah. So the vibe I get around it is a lot of the sort of glamour has kind of evaporated a little bit in the eyes of a lot of people. Yeah. As far as on the field, they it's well documented. They don't have enough players. so And they held on to a lot of players who were good in the championship and... You know, they obviously a lot of focus is on is on Sunny Bill, but I think they will get some wins soon. And I yeah. think when they go home, they will definitely get some points, and 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 the crowds will show up. And I certainly, you know, hope they don't go down. <laughs> yeah. Now, Steve, you know the Wolfpack owner David Argyle quite well, well better than the rest of us. He's a bit of a mysterious figure to me. Can you tell us a bit about him? Where did he make his mining fortune? What's he like as a human? <laughs> I'm not like I'm not like on the phone with him every day or anything. I don't, you know, I I know him because of an absolute coincidence, which is documented in the book, yeah. um, in Touchstones, where my wife actually is good friends with Rebecca, his sister, which is just an absolute coincidence. Right. It actually has nothing to do with with rugby league. So yeah. David's like he's always on a roll. <laughs> like he's one of these guys he's found his groove you know, sounds like, like yeah no but even more it's like a very high it's like a groove in a record but the record's on 78 you know <laughs> revolutions yeah. he's always rolling from one day into the next with a new with an idea and he's because he I guess and I felt a little bit like it when we first started streaming these um, games it was like you just felt on such a high mm. You were doing something really cool that you always wanted to do. And because you somehow had the means to make it happen, the means stopped being focused and it's the thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the means just got you to the point where you have this adrenaline, you know what I mean, rush. And then it's not about it's not about the means anymore. It's about what you're actually doing. Uh, and David's kind of like that every every day he's like always like on about the number of eyeballs that the Wolfpack have gotten how they're the most viewed rugby league team ever and those eyeballs can allow him to have you know strategic partnerships with x y and z which will then you know make the Wolfpack band bigger and blah 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 so I think anyone who spends you know any any time with David finds his enthusiasm you talked about the start of the interview with me about enthusiasm his enthusiasm has got mine well covered you know um, he's super super uh, enthusiastic and really kind of social sociable guy like that magic weekend you know would drink it with the fans and 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 does so at the um at the home games looking yeah. very healthy at the moment david does you know, quite a glow yeah yeah very healthy yeah um so so no he's he's a pretty uh sort of infectious sort of personality and of course our biggest fear i suppose for toronto wolfpack in 2020 is that they get relegated do you think he'd stick around following such a significant step back considering yeah, it's all I about do, progress? I do. I, I do. I'll tell you, I mean, I read, I do because for him, it's kind of like, he lo- like he loves rugby by the code, played it in, in college in the US mm. and does believe it enriches people's lives. But he's in love with the Wolfpack as a platform, as a, you know, don't forget this rugby strength as well. Mm. Um, you know, they own a quarter of the business and, and a quarter of the business is, is basically doing these um, wellness products. And so just because the footy team gets relegated, do you think they're going to go along the shelves of boots? 
and remove all these wellness products. Like, you know, they're not. And, 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 you know, I read in the paper that he's been talking to the Melbourne Storm about, uh, mm. you know, I, I, I can't see that if that was to happen, I can't see his involvement in the Melbourne Storm would have much relevance if he doesn't also have the Wolfpack. Mm. So, uh, no, I think I think if they go down, they learn. And, and I, I, I don't know how much it's going to affect the crowds at Lamport because they haven't seen the team since August anyway. Mm. They kind of know, in a way, they're in a tougher comp because they're not winning. Mm. But basically, Lamport is an event where people go, they get in for a tenth of what it costs to go to the Raptors mm. or whatever, or the Blue Jays, and they drink craft beer and hang around to two hours after the game. Yeah. Do, they, do they care if the Wolfpack get relegated? You know, Maybe some of the hardcore people who drive in from outside Toronto and bring the family maybe they might go oh they're in the minor league again I'm not going to go but I mean I think the people the sort of millennials who just wander up from Liberty Village you know yeah, yeah. For, for a good day they're not going to care so I, I think they go down and they, they get their recruitment right and then they go back up and they stay you know that's what yeah. I think well that's reassuring for us uh, Wolfpack fans so it's good to hear but hopefully they will finish 11th or better in any case. Now, Steve, one more thing. It would be remiss of me not to ask you a couple more questions on International Rugby League. In fact, Big Al would kill me because I know we're running out of time. So just one question in two parts. A, five years ago, could you have imagined International Rugby League making the strides it has in that period? Because you always could see the potential, but you've also been well aware of the harsh realities of competing interests of a self-absorbed NRL and a never-ending way too long Super League season. Five years ago was 2015. Yeah, I couldn't imagine Australia losing to Tonga. Mm. But I, I could imagine the calendar which the International Federation, as we speak, have put out in a very nice graphic in the previous mm. 12 hours, which has, four, I think, four regions with a calendar of who's playing who. And it leaves out things like the Kangaroo Tour or Spain going to the Philippines because they're called bilateral. So I, I can imagine that. I mean, to be fair, 2017 World Cup was not particularly successful thank god for tonga mm. i suppose it so, has it know. has because of tonga is a big part of it has a bit more feels like it has a bit more legitimacy on the field and also legitimacy off the field with the administration changes at the international rugby league level as well from, yeah. from my opinion um, also i would have liked to have imagined we played a test in the united states it would have been a failure and the company that ran it wouldn't owe people money yeah. so yeah I, I, th- I think i could have imagined most of it except for tonga beating australia which is people at the time and i was too I, people at the time were searching for the right stat to sum up the significance of that victory and it was wrong to say the first team outside New Zealand and England or Great Britain to win since 78, which is, leaves the poor off French looking pretty pathetic when they're the only other ones who've ever been. <laughs> they're the yeah. only other ones that have ever beaten Australia, so why single them out? So the correct stat, I, I, it was the first time Australia had been beaten by a new nation since 1951. I like um, that one. You know, so it's six, six, 68 years, older than me, older than most of your listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't I don't think too many of your listeners will remember France beating Australia in 1951. Yeah. So that, I was so happy, even as someone who has retired from anally attending as many games as possible. I was so happy to, to be there and, yeah. and witness that last year. That was that was a highlight of my rugby league attending life, you know. Wow, fabulous. Now, as a bit of a reality check, though, we talk about the, the strides International Rugby League has made on the field and off the field with the legitimacy through Tonga and the administrations. It's, it's not really making money yet, 
How far are we away from international rugby league becoming a real money spinner? Like, can we break through into North America? Will the Wolfpack help there? Is France ever going to happen? Any of the big markets possible in the near future, do you think? Yeah, I I think we're a long way from international rugby league uh, making money because the International Federation only has two properties, which is the World Cup and the Nines World Cup. Yeah. And Nines World Cup was basically covered by the NRL so they didn't have to play an extra international to mm. satisfy a TV contract. And it's on again in Sydney in four years. And, and the World Cup makes money, but at the moment, not, much. not enough. Um, mm. The one in this country will will make a lot of money, I think. Mm. Uh, and obviously there's been that um, legacy investment. There's a total of £25 million investment around the World Cup. So the International Federation needs more properties in order to make money. You know, I think a Nines World Circuit is probably the next thing if they could get that or get an involvement in that, being run by private investors who, who give the National Federation money for the licence or deal them in as partners. I think that's a big that's a big one. Yeah. You know, that, that's that's the next thing off the... And, I, I mean, I'd like to think, you know, it's in the fullness of time, things like merchandising and, and licensing, like FIFA, the things that FIFA do, they're the sort of things that could make money for the National Federation. But, you know, the big thing is, like, there's a 10% levy on gates for internationals, and the only internationals that make money are the ones involving Australia, New Zealand and England and think, and because of the NRL they don't play that often Yeah, yeah. if you could compare them to um, rugby union so I think it's a while before the National Federation starts turning a, a nice profit and has a big office like World Rugby you know yeah well fascinating stuff Steve we've run out of time but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show uh, good luck with Mascord Browns the new live streaming venture through Rugby League Hub and of course your upcoming book which we're looking forward to getting our hands on so Thank you for being part of the Progressive Rugby League podcast, Steve Mascord. No worries. Thank, thanks, guys. I'll keep trying to get my groove back. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks, Steve. Progressive Rugby League. Yes, thank you, Steve Mascord. Any thoughts that you want to share about the interview, Big I'm so happy that I wasn't a part of that interview because I wouldn't have asked any relevant questions. I probably would have just taken up a lot of time going like, oh, like, Steve, how, how good is, like, the stuff that you've done? And, like, I don't know, like, what do you think about, like, something relatively irrelevant to everybody but me? That was great to listen to. The stuff that he's doing, that the live streaming on Rugby League Hub, I find fascinating. I've, I only tried to access it once, and the only reason I did was because I found out about it by scanning his Twitter feed which I do so often in the lonely wee hours and he was mentioning something he didn't even really say what it was he just said check out Rugby League Hub yes. I did and I saw the live stream there but I had some dodgy connection issues and I think the game might have even, might have even been over at the time so I didn't really get to witness it but you know obviously it's not going to be a fully produced broadcast package that you're used to seeing on TV here but any kind of access to live Super League games uh, is a bonus and once again Steve Mascord the pioneer yes I mean for for a lot of people who may not have listened to this podcast since we began they may not know that you have a well a, a very deep <laughs> admiration for Steve that you know sometimes gets awkward for the rest of us so it probably was lucky that uh, you were absent. I, 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 I do also want to we should thank him for being really sympathetic in his review of our book club episode <laughs> of his of his book because we all agreed that was terrible that was like I think the second maybe the second book club episode we've ever done we didn't really know how to do it I think like uh, there was a big gap between me reading the book and doing the episode like I'm talking months I think 
and I wasn't properly refreshed up on the content and we were all over the place. It was all in all a bad episode and he still he still said it was a good experience for him. So I'd love to be able to do that episode again and have him listen to it. Well, um, maybe when he gets his new book out, we can uh, yeah, make amends. We'll be, we'll be doing a real book club episode on that one. Okay, Big, let's bring it home, shall we, with our prog moms. What you got for us? <laughs> well, here we are, a couple of days out from the start of the uh, NRL 2020 season, and I've just got one one thing to say. Mm-hmm. How good is the footy? Oh, jeez. How good is rugby league? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> listeners, 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 this is Big Al saying, I forgot to think of a prog mom. And I'm in is, isolation here. It's four guys in isolation. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. You owe us two and a half prog moms next week in person. Oh, I'm always in debt with prog moms. You are. And the interest. Luckily, interest rates are record lows for you, so... <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Liam Marshall from Wigan. Now, he scored what I believe will be among the tries of the year a week or two ago. It was against someone, I can't remember. He was re- he received the ball from the kickoff, and I think it might have been half-time or full-time, and he was running up to the defensive line, and he just kicked ahead. And then he ran after <laughs> the ball, and he regathered, and he scored in the corner. I thought, well, that's fantastic. From the kickoff, a kick ahead, a boot and chase, and he made it all the way to the try line. Of course, uh, I will also add, as another prog mom, we had the Indigenous All-Stars game a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was another highlight. An emotional occasion, a brilliant game of rugby league, such high quality for the first game of the year. And it was great to see the New Zealand Māori come up with the victory, and now it's 1-1. So there's going to be a genuine rivalry with these two teams in the years ahead. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's wrap it up. It's been a pleasure to be back in your earbuds once again. Big Al, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, no worries. It's always a pleasure. Please, where else? I pretend like I've got other things going on. I don't. And looking forward to seeing you again next week. Good luck with the, with the virus. Um, you know, take the necessary precautions. Wash the backs of your hand. Wash the fronts of your hand. Wash your face, perhaps. Don't touch your face, but wash your face. Don't wash it. Yeah, gotcha. all that sort of stuff. And hopefully next week uh, we can be in the same room and see those physical cues, which makes it so much easier to do a decent <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, Big Al, thank you very much. And listeners, until next week, see you and Rugby League. Hold me. See you all in Rugby League. We try. Bye. Thanks, big.